This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Monday the 15th of May 2017. Episode 14, Stand and Deliver. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. Um, Today will be a tech-orientated episode. Uh, We've got a few uh, news items to discuss, including the obvious. So without further ado, let's begin the show. Now, hot off the press is news that uh, Nintendo are planning to bring The Legend of Zelda to the iPhone and Android. Now, we know Nintendo have ventured into uh, sort of mobile gaming. Um, when I say mobile gaming, I mean mobile platforms. Over the past year, they've um, released um, the original title, Mitomo, which didn't do particularly well. But then they uh, released some of their more um, recognized franchises, uh, such as Fire Emblem Heroes and, more importantly, Super Mario Run. Now, what we do know is that um, you know it was this news, particularly the release of Super Mario Run, was met with a lot of enthusiasm. In fact, um, Nintendo made it made a big deal out of it by um, having Shigeru Miyamoto appear at one of Apple's events, the same event where the iPhone Seven was unveiled, to announce uh, this partnership with Nintendo, and that Nintendo would release um, would would release um, Super Mario Run as a time exclusive. Uh, released to uh, the iOS platform. It's only recently been released on Android. But um, this, what we do, what most, some of you probably don't know, is that Super Mario Run didn't do, didn't meet Nintendo's expectations. Um, in March, uh, a Nintendo um, in, insider did reveal uh, that um, it didn't meet uh, Nintendo's expectations at all in terms of the amount of revenue that it generated. Um, the difference between Super Mario Run and um, Fire Emblem is that Fire Emblem was indeed a free game. And although it was free, um, it did rely on sort of in-app purchases uh, in-app purchases to expand uh, your characters and your characters' uh, abilities. Um, what happened with Super Mario Run is that Nintendo tried a different model, and they actually were quite loud and proud about this model. They said that they did not want to burden the game with any in-app purchases to progress in the game, but rather the game would be a one-off cost, an upfront charge of $7.99, that's since gone up to $9.99, uh, due to Apple's um, worldwide price increases, but $7.99 would give you access to all the Super Mario Runs levels and worlds. You could download it for free and, you know, play the first level for free, sure, but generally there'll be a one-off purchase for everything. Now, the problem is that in March, Nintendo, uh, Nintendo's president claimed that it didn't sales didn't make, meet the expectations, although there were, I believe, 78 million downloads at the time of late March 
they didn't make the money that they, they, that they wanted to make. Now, bear in mind, Nintendo would also be uh, allowing Apple a cut of that, uh, which is a 30% of all App Store sales. So, um, apparently, they had 78 million downloads at the time. Now, bear in mind, this is downloads of the game, which is the first level you get for free. You need to pay $9.99, but then $7.99 to unlock the full game. So what happened was 78 million downloads. That, that proves that it was, it was met with enthusiasm, but only 4 million people went on and paid the full whack to unlock the full game. So that was rather disappointing. And in late March, Nintendo did launch it for Android. But, uh, and this did increase sales slightly, but again, uh, not to Nintendo's expectations. So Nintendo, according to an insider who has tipped off the Wall Street Journal, and apparently this insider is a reliable insider, Nintendo planned to bring Le Legend of Zelda to the iPhone and Android. Now, before you mobile fans get too excited, this is not going to be something like the Legend of Zelda, the Breath of the Wild, as released on the Switch. This is not going to be something like the Legend of Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. This is not going to be an epic game. It can't be an epic game. You cannot have that level of control on a, a touchscreen device. It's not going to happen. You, uh, you won't get something as big as epic as those games. What you will get is probably something, and this is just my theory, you'll probably get something more akin to The Legend of Zelda Four Swords. Now, that's a multiplayer game. We have a number of links exploring dungeons, solving puzzles. So you'll get the dungeon element of Zelda. You'll get the puzzle-solving element of Zelda. What you won't get is the sort of exploration, the vast worlds, or even the story, the narrative um, elements of, 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 of the Zelda series. So you probably won't get that, but you will get, a, I reckon you'll get a Four Swords-esque game. It'll be Zelda by name. It'll be Zelda in terms of puzzles, but that will probably be about it. Nintendo know full well that they will gratify um, those who into mobile gaming only to an extent. And if you want the full Nintendo experience, or in this case, you want the full Legend of Zelda experience, you're going to have to buy a Nintendo Switch. Now, for those of you who are looking forward to this Zelda game uh, on mobile platforms, all we know so far is that this is set to hit smartphones at some point later this year. So expect that to be towards the end of the year, if anything, um, because Nintendo already have a key um, um, franchise uh, coming to smartphones in the second half of 2017, and that being a port of Animal Crossing. Now, in the last episode, um, we well, we briefly mentioned uh, that uh, Amazon uh, were planning to bring out a follow-up to their Echo uh, product, their Echo Home Assistant AI product speaker. And um, we discussed the leak uh, of that product that um, had sort of made arounds on the internet, which actually displayed it as a rather retro-looking device with a large speaker and a 7-inch screen. Now, since last episode, Amazon have actually officially announced this product. It is called the Amazon Echo Show. And uh, there's been no word of a UK release just yet, but the official US release date is scheduled for the 28th of June. 
Now this is coming in a lot more expensive than I thought it would be. It's coming in at $229. Now that directly translates to £176, but we know what happens now post-Brexit. Um, that um, simply all most companies do is just interchange the dollar sign to the pound sign. So I reckon this will probably come in about 199 That's just a guess. Um, now what makes this so expensive? Well, what makes this so expensive is apparently a superior speaker a uh, seven inch touchscreen and uh, some rather nifty advanced video calling features. Now, Amazon are really, really pushing uh, video calling with this thing. Um, the idea is that um, you are able to call fellow people who have uh, echo shows. Um, now, this may very well extend in terms of um, the skills that these speakers, uh, these devices support, as Amazon call them, skills. Um, this may extend to other video services, for example, Skype. But as of yet, it's primarily used for Amazon's own video uh, call-in service. Now, the curious thing about this is that well the questionable thing about this is that amazon's video calling service might sound like a good idea and actually it has a nifty feature i.e you don't have to wait to dial to for something to connect so if you contact someone on your amazon echo show device you don't have to wait for them to pick up it will connect immediately as it will connect immediately if they attempt to contact you now, this raises all sorts of, um, this sounds all sorts of alarm bells, to be quite honest. Do we really want a, design, a device, a connected video device, to, um, to basically establish a connection and to display what we, we may be doing in our homes without our consent? Um, what you I mean, you might think, okay, that's great. So, surely there's some sort of configuration that you can make to say that only allow calls to come through from certain approved, uh, you know, in, individuals in, in my address book, you know, um, perhaps your wife, perhaps your husband, whatever. No, that's not the case. Um, in actual fact, um, you can either switch it on or off. You cannot um, allow, there's no individual setting to allow certain people to connect to you automatically. It's, it's either all in or all out, unfortunately. And I'm not quite sure why Amazon thought this was a good idea, particularly now where the issue of privacy, security is on the forefront of everyone's minds. Uh, why is it a good idea to have something like this? I understand they want to push this and they say it's superior to FaceTime and then, you know they're really banging on about the quality of this video calling service and that remains to be seen. But why on earth, what makes them think that people will be fine with this thing just connecting automatically? I have no idea when someone may choose to contact me. I have no idea what I may be doing in my living room. I mean, nothing dodgy, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, I, I may be, um, you know, I, I, I may be in a state of undress, rushing from one room to another. I, I could be doing anything. Um, use your imagination, folks. Anyone could be doing anything. Do you want this thing to connect at unpredictable times? Only one can imagine if your parents are trying to get through to you and the thing just connects instantly. Um, so I don't think this has been thought through very well. Um, I can see Amazon updates in this thing probably before launch, actually, to allow you to explicitly, um, you know, um, define who has permission to get through to you immediately. However, on the positive note, the idea of an instantly connecting video device is something 
uh, very futuristic. You know, it's the sort of thing we used to dream about. Something, you know, sort of thing you see in the Jetsons or Star Trek. You see a video screen, automatic. You know, immediately you contact someone, they're there, you speak to them. And I can actually see this being a good idea in the office, in enterprise, particularly when people work remotely or people work um, in, in international offices, it would bring people together. You can represent someone, uh, someone's presence um, through the connectivity with uh, this, this Echo device. It can just be there. You can just yell out a question to them and they technically should be able to hear you immediately and respond to you immediately. No sort of connection, you know, sort of going through software like you do with Skype, find in your contact dial in that contact waiting for it to connect making sure none of that you know you'd be able to speak to them technically straight away by just presumably just tapping a button um so i can see the advantages of this but unfortunately the disadvantages outweigh the advantages now um other things amazon showed off with this product were rather gimmicky things i think things that don't really justify the additional cost i don't truly understand why we need a screen on this thing. Um, if you're going to start yelling um, um, commands at your artificial intelligence, at your, your home assistant device, and you want to see something on the screen, you may as well just yell into your phone. You may as well yell, OK, Google or Hey, Siri. Um, the reliance upon the screen seems a little gimmicky. Um, the examples I showed included, um, you know, asking about a song. You ask Alexa to play a song and you get the lyrics to the song on the screen. Again, that's completely pointless. Um, yeah, it just seems like an update for the sake of an update. I am sure that this thing will, will sort of, um, you know, get into its own stride once um, developers and service providers uh, tap into the skills. Um, the skills, quite quite famously, Amazon um, allow, open up the API for the Echo devices and allow developers to tap into that and to extend it and to make it more useful, um, tap into various um, services, uh, third-party services. But... Um, I, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not really compelled by this product at all. And I, and, and I was initially put off by the look of it. It just looks incredibly retro. Again, reminds me one of those sort of late 1990s, um, you know, video phone devices that BT or, Am or Amstrad, likes of those companies, sort of experimented with. But that's the Amazon Echo Show. Um, Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at look at it, looking at the Amazon website. Just looking at its description of all of its capabilities. Again, you know, I mentioned the video calls, um, um, and I mentioned the music lyrics. I mean, it also mentions things such as YouTube videos and you know photos and displaying weather forecasts and shopping lists. I mean, we can do all these things from our smartphone. Um, security cameras, you know, webcam security. No, yeah, we can do all this already. I I, I just don't understand why we need a standalone product to live within our homes to be able to do this so i find that a little bit odd um i suppose on the other hand i mean if you are into music um you only use the thing as a speaker um this is actually quite impressive i mean the original echo um was it was a decent enough speaker it wasn't particularly great um but this one um seems to be more geared towards this new one it seems to be more geared towards amazon music um it has dolby powered speakers with and uh, with, with eight microphones in there so this you know this certainly has the hardware to be a much more reliable device and a better device for audio in general but again you know is it worth the extra money i mean it's actually quite a lot of money for what it is i'm not convinced um
I, th- I think it'll be a limited release in the US. We, we, we were talking end of June. I don't think it's going to be a, fu- a quick release for the UK. Um, but nonetheless, those of you who really want it will do what you did last time with the Echo. You will import it from the States, no doubt, and then and it will work just fine. And so on the subject of home artificial intelligence assistance or you know, home artificial intelligence speakers, um, I um, mentioned in the last episode that um, there's been increasing number of rumors that Apple are going to unveil their own offering in this space and they're going to do so at their worldwide developers conference in just a few weeks actually and there seems to be more and more confirmation of this and we have a comment from a very reliable um industry analyst ming chi kuo who confirms that there's more than a 50 percent chance of apple announcing this speaker product at wwdc and that the reason for them to announce it then would be for developers to uh, be introduced to whatever API would be available to develop uh, certain um, extensions or much like Amazon Echo's skills um, for the product and applications for the product. And um, also that this thing has actually been tested in the homes already of several Apple executives. So they've been sort of testing this on the down low. Now, what makes this even more interesting is that we have actually had public comment from Apple executive Phil Schiller. Um, and Phil Schiller is is the um, the senior VP of uh, marketing, worldwide marketing. Now, he's actually made a comment and many blogs have reported this as a jab at uh, Amazon and Google's offerings of uh, sort of her smart home speakers um you know for example here phil phil should have was asked directly um in an interview with ndtv um about his opinion of these speakers um and his response was i don't i won't talk to either one specifically i don't want to my mother used to have a saying that if you don't have any something nice to say say nothing at all so that's a quite a bitchy remark um, Phil Schiller then goes on to um, to basically explain what the problem with these pro- existing products are. And it's bear in mind that this was before Amazon officially announced the follow up to the Echo with a video screen. Um, this was literally a day before, actually. And he outlined his concern. And his concern is that um, there's a lack of a screen to interact with and required. So in his words, he said, there's many moments when the voice assistant is really beneficial, but that doesn't mean you never want a screen. So the idea of not having a screen, I don't think suits many situations. So this is very interesting. Let's read between the lines. So Phil Schiller is now going on record talking about um, home AI smart speakers, right? Apple have never discussed this before. Normally, if Apple don't have anything to say, they will say, oh, we find this, um, you know, we, we find this this type of product compelling or we've, we've got nothing to say. But Phil Schiller's gone out of his way and he's he's, he's quite a mouthpiece for Apple. Um, so and um, it's no coincidence that um, Phil Schiller is making these comments now in the lead up to WWDC. Um, furthermore, 
um, the rumors are that Apple are going to release their own offering. And the rumors are saying that this offering is going to be an expensive one. It's going to be a, a premium. It's going to be a high-end um, smart speaker. So it's not going to be as cheap as your Echoes or your Google Homes. It's going to cost near enough £199. So therefore, Apple are going to need something to justify that £199. It, having a shiny Apple logo is not going to be enough. It's going to, They're going to need to sell this as a unique product, solving whatever problems the inferior, quote-unquote, um, existing product have have left consumers so and what makes it even more interesting is that phil Schiller specifically talks about the lack of screen and that being a disadvantage which suggests to me that the apple version of the home speaker the series speaker is going to have a screen now i many have speculated oh this is going to be a touch screen it's going to be something you can interact with but again the same problem applies to the um the the, the echo show i mean you can do all of that with your smartphone. What's the point in having a separate device in the home that you touch, you pinch and zoom, you interact with? I actually think, and this is my theory, Apple are going to go down this route. They're going to follow um, what they have done with the uh, the new style MacBook Pros. And the new style MacBook Pros have the unique touch bar, which in itself is a, is a screen, a touch screen that you can interact with that changes contextually. Um, but it's a thin strip of screen. And I reckon there's going to be something similar on this product. I can imagine a strip going around the, the entire, entire circumference, um, the entire um, circumference of the speaker. Let's presume it is a, a, a cylinder style speaker because the rumors are saying it's going to resemble the Mac Pro uh, design. And I can imagine you're going to, when Siri interacts, you're going to see the, the waveforms on that on that screen. And Siri is going to basically display information on that screen, um, be it weather forecast or you know details or things like that. I mean, it's not going to be a large screen, but I think it's going to be large enough just to display some basic information. And also Apple, um, this is what's, what's also interesting. Apple are going to pitch this as an audio product, right? So um, basically, we've heard rumors um, about the, the quality of the speakers of this Siri, of this, um, this, this home Siri device. And we hear that this thing is going to have seven speakers and a subwoofer. Seven speakers and a sub. Um, and, and by speaker, I mean tweeters, seven tweeters, seven loudspeakers uh, and a sub. So it's going to make it extremely powerful um, and extremely high quality audio device. And this is what makes it even more interesting. The fact that Apple recently have, um, you know, got gotten into bed with Sonos. Um, Sonos, who manufacture uh, uh, the ecosystem of wireless speakers. Apple have recently gotten a lot more friendly with Sonos, allows Sonos to sell their products on the, in the Apple store, in uh, Apple store online and on, in the bricks and mortar stores. Um, and actually have allowed Sonos to tap into Apple Music and provide it as a service via their app for people who own their products to use. Now, wouldn't Apple getting into the high-end speaker market be automatically treading on Sonos's toes? I don't know. Maybe there's more to their recent coziness than meets the eye. Maybe this will be something they'll be working with them on. I don't know. Um, a lot of people, um, you know, look at Apple's AirPlay technology as a direct competitor to Sonos. 
Um, AirPlay is built natively into iOS devices. You don't need any third-party application. If there's an AirPlay receiver, you can send your, your video or your audio to that receiver just fine, provided you're on the same network. And in many cases now, you don't need to be in the same network. Um, Sonos is slightly different. Sonos, um, you need to be um, you know, part of the ecosystem. You need to have the Sonos app. Um, and that's how you see the various um, devices in, in, in your home network. And that's how you can, um, you know, queue up and play audio. Um, so, I, you know, Apple, will Apple do this? I don't know. Um, I, well, but it does seem that they're going to pitch it as an audio device primarily. Um, as well as a home sort of a home smart speaker because um, Apple Music, Apple Music is doing very well. Apple Music is making Apple lots of money. And um, the industry insiders who have leaked information about this smart speaker say that this it's going to have exclusive Beats technology. I'm not exactly sure what Beats technology is, but all I can really attribute that to is audio quality, you know, bassy sound, you know, good, good quality sound. Um, and well, you know, some of you are probably fuming right now saying beats good quality sound but you know what i mean beats the beats headphones have a very sort of a punchy sound that works very well for modern music admittedly sound accuracy isn't great in those things and you know you you do better buying a pair of bose or sennheisers but um that's probably what they mean by beats technology and um so I, I don't know will they be treading on the toes of sonos they may be they may not i can see them working with them somehow uh, I could be wrong about that prediction, but I stand by my prediction about there being a uh, strip type screen, much like the um, the touch bar, the MacBook Pro that will go around the circumference of the cylinder. Um, now, um, I want to talk about what we want to see from such a product, because actually this is quite exciting. Whenever Apple introduce a new product or a new product line, um, it is exciting. People take notice. And what will probably happen is that this will probably become the standard in terms of um, um, home smart speaker because Apple just seemed to have that level of influence. Now, um, there's certain things that I personally want to see from a product like this. I want to see, and I know we're going to get this, this is an absolute certainty, Apple Music integration. I want to be able to yell at the speaker, tell it to play me this, tell it to play me that, and it will just play it regardless of the fact that whether my iPhone or iPad is in the in its vicinity, I want it logged into my Apple Music. Here's where it gets complicated. I also want it to be able to tell me what my schedule is. I want it to be able to, um, you know, um, FaceTime audio um, one of my friends and I can have a conversation while I'm, you know, doing the cooking in the kitchen. I want to be able to yell at it and tell, to play me a podcast intersection <laughs> or to play me um, a radio station and um, but the problem lies in the fact that I'm not the only one who lives in my home this is the problem with products such as the Amazon Echo particularly when it, it's tied to you know your calendar your schedule and things like that it's only good for one person so if you're living by yourself that's great you know what's on my calendar it, it it only sees one calendar and it just tells you what your next appointment is google home is starting to venture into uh, multi-user support um although so far it hasn't been particularly reliable or impressive um i'm hoping apple have a much more impressive solution for to, for and uh, to support multi-users and I, I the problem is 
Will they do this with a generation one product? That I'm not sure about. Some could argue that the iPad, for example, would benefit uh, with multi-user support and we're still waiting for that years later. So um, I don't know if Apple will do this with generation one, but Apple needs something to differentiate its product uh, from the others that are on the market, particularly if it's planned to sell this for a lot more money. Now, I would like to see multi-user support and there are a number of ways Apple could actually pull this off. Um, the most complex way they could pull it off is for simple voice recognition. You know, if it, it recognizes your voice patterns. You yell a command at it. It knows, OK, this is Jonathan. Um, Jonathan's obviously talking about his calendar. Um, you know, let, let's uh, let, let's um, add this item to his calendar or let's read read his next appointment to him. I can't see that happening um, unless dictation gets a whole lot smarter. And bear in mind, Siri needs to get a whole lot smarter for this to work anyway, because right now Siri is incredibly infuriating to use. And Siri is very far behind her rivals, Cortana, OK, Google and Alexa. Um, also, there is the problem of, for example, OK, there's several people in my home Um if, if this thing does support multi-users, is it going to be cool with the fact that only one of us subscribes to Apple Music? Can another person come along and request the speaker to play a song? Will it play the song? There is that. There's all sorts of licensing issues with that because technically Apple might not be able to control such a thing. Um, there's nothing stopping a person from logging in with their account into someone's speaker and, that, and then their friend takes that speaker away and has free Apple Music. Um, so I, I don't know if Apple would support that also. Um, I mean, there, but there are other ways, there are other ways. So, so another way I'm thinking about that Apple could support multi-user without uh, listening to voice patterns is, um, iBeacons actually. And you may know about iBeacons, but you may at the same time not know about iBeacons. Basically, if you've got an iPhone and, um, essentially um if you are near so let's say for example nando's everyone likes nando's right so you have the nando's app installed in your phone and you are in the vicinity of a nando's and you see the little nando's icon in the bottom uh, left hand corner or is it the right hand corner of your ios device well basically i be that's i beacons at work and i beacons works with location services and ios um and it's apple's version of the the you know the standard bluetooth based beacon concept which allows bluetooth devices to broadcast uh, pieces of data so essentially um you be near the nandos the nandos is broadcasting um data saying hey there is a nandos nearby i send it to all users who have the nandos app who will then receive this beacon and that beacon is then displayed on your device and i'm i'm now saying it in really basic layman's terms um you know beacons are more like um buttons or links to the, you know, the physical world around you um and the apps itself so an example i use the nando's app um triggers the events and calls the actions and so forth so we could use technically apple can use ibeacons to um check for um, the nearby devices to itself the, the, to the speaker and check who is closest to its vicinity and then determine what user is issuing the commands to that speaker in that manner but then I can see that's been unreliable because if let's say I'm in the living room with my sons both of them have iPhones I myself have an iPhone we're all technically in the same vicinity right so again what's going to happen there so there's a lot of questions really but I don't think Apple are going to bring anything to the table that 
isn't going to impress. I'm sure there is going to be a killer feature or a killer differentiator um, to, you know, compel us to consider this product over the other more established products. Um, now, I I mean, I, I want to see other things too, obviously. I want to see HomeKit support. Um, right now, HomeKit is support is very ropey via Siri. Um, it always takes me about two or three attempts to get the thing to work. I sometimes yell out, hey, Siri, switch off the lights. I can't communicate with the lights. I don't know, you know, I don't know what lights you're talking about. I try it again and the lights work just fine. Yes. And ironically enough, Siri has just responded to me on my iPhone. Are you done, Siri? I think she's done. Um, so, yeah, um, but it needs to be really reliable. It needs to be so reliable that a guest could be in your home and yell out, hey, um, switch off the living room lights or, or, you know, good night. And it will just work straight away. Um, so um, HomeKit's very, very important. And I love the concept of HomeKit. I love the fact that there is a standard that all of these supported smart devices uh, talk to the one hub and the hub in this case being the Apple TV or in some cases you can use an iPad as a hub uh, for you to issue commands remotely via that device or um, or, or, or basically, um, you know, if you are connected to uh, the network, you are in, in the vicinity of your devices that anyone, if you give them permission to do so, can control them. Um, you don't have to use Siri. You just swipe up on your on your um, your control center on your phone, your iPhone, and then there you have or your iPad, and there you have the controls. Um, so I love the idea of HomeKit. I use it at the moment, and I want to expand um, the number of HomeKit devices we have in in, in my home. Um, but the problem with HomeKit is always explaining to someone else how to use it. In my case, it's explaining to my girlfriend, no, just, just say this to Siri or just do this with your phone. No, don't turn off the light switch. If you turn off the light switch and it can't communicate with the lights, you know, if the, if the Apple, I was about to say Apple Home, which is what I think they'll call the product. Um, but if the Apple smart speaker is able to make HomeKit a lot more user friendly, um, and, and encourage people, um, particularly um, less, um, you know, technical people um, to use to use smart devices, then I'm all for it. So, but I think that that's a certain. I think I think Apple are going to definitely give HomeKit some special consideration with this product. Um, there are other things I'd want to see as well. I did mention um, the Apple TV is used as a HomeKit hub. Um, and that's what allows you to issue commands remotely via Siri on your phone or your iPad um, to your devices at home. It's the Apple TV that listens. You can use an iPad, provided it stays at home, to do the same thing. But I reckon this um, this smart speaker device will also act as a hub. It may change and act primarily as the hub, um, and um, that you know that'd be great. Um, also. I think um, there's, I mean, there are other things that Apple can do with this. Um, they can turn this into some sort of airport device. They can, you know, we can, it can have built in storage and, and we, we can use it as a time machine, um, a time capsule uh, style device. You know, your, your Macs in your home will, will make um, wireless backups to it. Um, I don't think they're going to go down that route. I definitely think that's not a generation one feature. 
Um, so I think for now, what we're really going to get is, and I'll just reiterate, we're going to get HomeKit support. They're going to really push on HomeKit hard. We're going to get heavy Apple Music support. Most definitely, this will be pitched as a high-quality audio product. We are going to get iCloud support. So we're going to get things such as, you know, your, your, your calendar, your contact, you'll be able to make FaceTime audio calls. You may even be able to make iPhone calls via the speaker but then again that depends on it being able to identify the user i really hope apple go down the multi-user route but i have a sneaky suspicion that you will not see that from generation one and we need to be particularly mindful of that and particularly realistic because this um this this reminds me of what happened with the apple watch there was so many months of anticipation with the apple watch so many rumors um you know um virgin you know from sponsored to be ridiculous um rumors about all sorts of wacky sensors that never came to pass the apple watch will be able to do this the apple watch will be able to do that and um what we really received was quite a basic and i like the apple watch don't get me wrong what we received was quite a basic um notification device uh with some health tracking features and all of these wacky futuristic predictions of what we would have with the apple watch um you know they just weren't true or you know we may have them one day but certainly weren't ready for generation one so i think some of the talk online some of the bloggers um we're getting a little bit too carried away about this idea of an apple um smart speaker apple as always play it safe with the first iteration of a new product line they always play it safe they play it conservatively and they introduce new features softly and slowly i mean let's remember the the very first generation ipad um the thing didn't even have a camera on it um you know um but nonetheless i'm really looking forward to it i always look forward to new apple products um this wwdc keynote um is looking to be an exciting one um speaking of which um there have been rumors about the update to the ipad pro i've mentioned before that the 9.7 inch ipad pro is going to be updated we're going to get one with um, a bezel-less screen or very very slim bezels which will actually increase the screen size and there's rumors that they're going to unveil this at wwdc um that might sound unusual because that's not normally the place to unveil lots of new hardware but then again if this taps into um certain new features of ios 11 it might be the right time to do so so that's wwdc looking forward to that and we can expect um the main keynote uh, to open the event and that's going to be on june the 5th the keynote is actually scheduled for 10 a.m pacific time on june the 5th which would eight hours behind that would make it uh, around 6 p.m our time in the uk and apple normally live stream this thing on their website uh and on their dedicated apple events channel on the apple tv and we'll be f with you with an episode following the event uh just to go through our impressions of what apple have have offered and um what announcements have been made <laughs>
now to move on to the obvious news story of this week, and that is the ransomware crisis that has crippled the NHS. And it's not just the NHS. Um, this attack has affected a number of organizations the world over. And I mean, I won't go back into it too much because it's probably already been discussed to death by the media. Um, but just to summarize, essentially, um, it's a cyber attack which has basically infiltrated various systems and the most high profile being NHS systems across the country. Um, and basically what happens is that their entire IT systems then displayed um, ransom notes from hackers um, appearing on their computer screens, um, basically saying that their files were now encrypted and uh, if they wanted to decrypt their files they had to pay a ransom so the actual wording was your important files are encrypted many of your documents photos videos databases and other files are no longer accessible because they have been encrypted maybe you're busy looking for a way to recover your files but do not waste your time nobody can recover your files without our decryption service and there's instructions on how to get it decrypted. You need to pay up and you have three days to submit the payment. So these high profile hackers, how much do you think they're holding big organization like the NHS and other organizations across the world to ransom for? 300 US dollars in Bitcoin, hardly anything. And I think they basically did this not to really make money, but did it just to prove that they could do it. And basically, um, you know, the fact that they're not asking for a lot of money, um, I, I think this is also just a case of showing off. Um, having said that, though, and bear in mind, um, maybe maybe financial, you know, maybe they are being realistic and asking for a small amount because they know that small amount we paid because apparently 200,000 victims, there's been 200,000 victims of, of, of this ransomware demand. Um, now you do the math, that's quite a lot of money, 200,000 times 300 US dollars. Well, it's not a huge amount of money, but it's, it's a substantial amount of money. Um, and, um, but apparently only 149 payments have been made. So um, it hasn't gone particularly well. Now, you, you might ask, how on earth could they have hacked into this? Well, they basically used an exploit. And uh, this, this exploit would have been working silently uh, and slowly um, encrypting files in the background. In fact, no one would even notice that this would be taking place. What the NHS has done, or hasn't done, I should say, the NHS's core systems still run on Windows XP. I don't need to tell you guys that Windows XP is a very old operating system now. We're now on Windows 10. Um, but as you can understand that there are many legacy NHS systems and systems across the public sector that still run on XP. It's too costly and too time consuming for these systems to be upgraded. So it's easier just to keep them running as they are. Now, the problem was that Microsoft ended uh support for windows xp in 2014 2015 um and they left an option for organizations who were reluctant to upgrade to windows 7 and basically you had to pay microsoft a special um support fee um which i believe the nhs initially had an arrangement to pay microsoft uh 5.5 uh, million a year Right, so Microsoft no longer 
publicly supported XP. It encouraged everyone to move to 7 and then subsequently now encouraging everyone to move to Windows 10. So if you want to remain with XP and to remain to receive um, security updates and patches uh, for XP, you'd have to pay the £2,000 a month. Right, at some point, the government decided to stop paying Microsoft, which is why the NHS systems were left vulnerable. Um, now, I'm not going to go into the political reasons why the government may have done that and, you know, whether they're being cheap, I don't know. But Microsoft certainly ha haven't shown any sympathy for the situation. They said that the, um, the NHS has itself to blame or the government have it, has itself to blame. But nonetheless... Um, they stop paying up they stop receiving updates so the things um you know the security exploits that have been safely patched up in windows 7 and onwards um aren't patched up in xp and the hackers knew this and the hackers did this to exploit the systems and to, to, to get to get access and um really um it it, it it's a shame that they I mean, I'm not condoning hacking, but it's a shame that they would target a health service. I mean, you know, that's a, that that is really bad, um, in my opinion. Um, at the same time, though, it, it it's really bad that the government is not ensuring that these things are protected and, and spending the money in the right places. Now, um, basically, this is this has brought things to a standstill and it's actually quite curious what's going on. I mean, this is a new form of terrorism. If you think about it, um, um, Microsoft said themselves that the attack was a wake up call. Um, and but like I said, they, they pretty much blame the government, um, the lack of, um, nation state action, um, as, as, as allowed this to occur. Um, what's funny is that, um, so the NHS was really brought down and you heard stories on in the media about operations cancelled, appointments cancelled and delays and everything's fallen apart. And I just thought, oh, this is just them exaggerating, right? And you would get people on the radio and this would really annoy me. You get experts on the radio uh, giving their like, quote unquote expert opinion and saying things such as... Um, and speaking from a lot of ignorance, saying things such as, um, oh, the NHS, why are they relying on Microsoft? They should write their own operating system, as if that's straightforward. Or, um, you know, why do connect computers need to be connected to the Internet anyway? We don't need connectivity. It leaves us vulnerable. Pretty short-sighted statements like that. And it's been infuriating listening to all of that. And, and, and I don't want to go into this too much. I know you guys are probably sick of this topic already. But um, what, what is quite funny is that I actually had a doctor's appointment. I had a doctor's appointment today and this was scheduled for a long time. So I went in and normally you got this screen where you sort of tap in when you go in. You don't have to speak to the receptionist. You just tap in your, your, your date of birth and your name um, and it, it logs you in. And then the auto, everything's all automated. So that will go through, put you on the list. And when the doctor's ready for you, your name would appear on the digital marquee display. Um, well, basically the screen was off, so I could, I had to, had to queue up and tell the receptionist I was there. No digital marquee display, which basically meant that we were, the things went back to the old school method of the doctors literally coming out of their offices and yelling out the name of the next patient. 
Um, and, 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 you know, the, the people on reception were doing things with paper and pen. It really was, it really, it really did harken back to the way things used to be done in the old days. But you know what? My ha I had my appointment. I mean, I had to wait a little bit longer, but, you know, they coped. And um, it, it's sad that these hackers have, a, have, have basically targeted the NHS. And I hear that um, the, the exploit that they used were one of the tools that the NSA, um, the America's um, National Security Agency, uh, had to hand. And if you remember, um, a few months ago, um, WikiLeaks... WikiLeaks, um, and, and, and I did mention this uh, on, on, on an episode, WikiLeaks sort of leaked information about the various tools and exploits that the NSA had to hand. And apparently um, these hackers um, who compromised um, the NHS systems um, used tools stolen from the NSA. Um, and this, this exploit, um, this ransomware exploit, is known as WannaCry. Okay, it's known as WannaCry, um, and it 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 um, it comes from a tool uh, known as Eternal Blue, which was developed by U.S. spies, um, and and basically this 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 is what they've used. They used a variant of that, and um, you know this this has happened all over the world. You've had reports from China, we've had reports from Portugal, Taiwan, Germany, Vietnam, Russia, all over the place. So, you know, you might be wondering, well, what's actually slowed this down? Because, of, you know, what, what, what's what, uh, you know, prevented um, the, the, this, these exploits and these, these, these successful hacking attempts to be more catastrophic? Well, actually, it was a, a, an unlikely hero, an unlikely hero who accidentally halted the spread of the, uh, the ransomware. Um, a 22-year-old cybersecurity analyst um, who tweets under the name of Malware tech um and he actually works for a security firm uh, crypto's logic um actually said that he um accidentally stopped it by um by being actually doing a bit of detective work um he had decided to investigate on his own accord um after hearing this was taking place um and and, and organizations such as the nhs and, and others were, were, were being sent into meltdown and um what he essentially did was to um look look into the um the malware itself and he noticed that um it was referring to a web domain and this web domain um is extremely long it, it, there's, there's many many characters in this web domain this is not something that is going to be registered uh but there were references to this domain hidden in the program and he did a bit of uh, detective work and he discovered that this domain actually hadn't been registered yet. It was there for the taking. So he used the initiative to um, register this domain himself. It cost him about eight or nine pounds as it would for anyone. And he decided to use it to sort of... Um, track um what was going on how this malware was working where it was at attempting to send information to and so forth and basically what happened was it it stopped the malware it stopped the ransomware um from spreading and so it does seem that the registration of this domain acted as some kind of kill switch at least that's the theory at the moment 
um and um yeah and and, and it seems to have slowed this um slowed this thing down and he's done everyone a favor um so i'll play you a little clip of of this chat being interviewed so you can hear it in his own words it was actually partly accidental we registered the domain with the intention of tracking the malware and it turned out later on we found that the domain we had registered had actually disabled the malware as well as allowed us to track it so we sort of killed two birds with one stone it was built as a check to see if the malware was running in an antivirus environment and by registering the domain, we triggered that check. So all of the samples thought they were now running in an antivirus environment and they just all quit. Thinking about it, um, this actually justifies uh, Tim Cook and Apple's war with the NSA. And I don't know if you remember this. This was um, last year when um, apparently uh, there, was some, there was some suspected terrorists in the USA um who um i believe were shot um and they had an iphone and that iphone was um basically secured touch id um and uh, the nsa wanted apple um to find a way into the phone and apple said it couldn't be done um then the nsa demanded that apple put a back door into its device uh, into its operating system in future so that uh, an exploit so something they can exploit in future if they needed to and they said and tim cook was against this because he's you know he was like well if we do this to help you guys out anyone can use this exploit and bad guys can use this exploit and all manner of trouble can happen and it seems like tim cook's concerns and many were calling him unpatriotic and and donald trump had many words to say to uh, about him but this actually this happened now but these hackers in the nhs using this former nsa exploit um just justifies what tim cook was saying these things will always fall into the wrong hands if we make them available doesn't matter how covert about it we are if we create a, a hole or a back door they will that will be discovered and that will be used for all sorts of nefarious means so um you know i think i think tim cook has been redeemed here those who were against him and i you know and i fully respected him for what he said um sort of around last year concerning this issue um so this story concerning the hackers and the nhs is not going to die anytime soon um it's um it's it, i i would just say you know it's fascinating what's going on and it does remind us that, you know, we need to be cautious about our dependence on um, technology um, and systems and technology. Um, and but I, I say cautious, not paranoid, um, because all it takes is we need just to be more concerned about security and privacy. And we need to ensure that any 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 sort of um, important systems are patched, fully patched up, up to date, protected. We need to put money into protecting these systems. The government is full shame on the government for not for for stopping the payments to Microsoft or not opting to upgrade to Windows, a later version of Windows to protect their systems. Um, and yeah, we just have to be a little bit more careful. But you know what? Hysteria and paranoia isn't going to help anyone. And that's all I seem to be hearing in the mainstream media these days. Um, you know, the world's not going to end. Um, nothing is unhackable. Sure. You know, um, the NHS will be just fine. I mean, the NHS was fine today, you know, my experience. Um, but we, we just need to be a little bit more careful. 
um, as of recording this, um, the expectation um, from the, um, the, the various uh, security authorities and, and, and the media at large is that we uh, should expect to see more exploits and hacks um, surface over the next few days. Um, so as of today, there hasn't been news of any, any additional ones. Um, and again, NHS systems are still down but i think that's more out of precaution rather than you know they're inaccessible um but you know we'll, we'll follow this story with great interest well that's about all the time we have for this edition of intersection uh thank you very much for joining us um if you haven't done so already please do subscribe to us you can find uh, instructions on how to subscribe on our website which is intersectioncast.com um, we're listed on all major podcast directories, including the all-important one, which is iTunes. If you have any feedback, comments, suggestions, or you know any tips or anything like that, uh, please feel free to contact us. Um, you can do so in a variety of ways. Um, you can email us which is on feedback at intersectioncast.com. You can also use that very same address, feedback at intersectioncast.com on Skype to find our Skype account and to leave us a Skype voicemail. If social media is your thing, then you can follow us on social media. We announce new episodes there. Uh, on Facebook, we are at uh, facebook.com slash intersectioncast. And you can find us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Let's Intersect. I'm Jonathan Wildman signing off another edition of The Intersection. Thank you so much for joining us as always. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The Intersection.